Thanks for joining us online today. We're really glad you're with us. Yeah, Core Church is a place of hope, healing, peace, and purpose. And we want you to come see us at 10 a.m. any Sunday. And if we can be of any support to you, we'd love to connect with you. There's lots of links in the description below, whether that's prayer or support in any way. We pray that this message is going to both encourage you and inspire you. glad that you're here. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be speaking this morning. We're going to be in the book of Judges chapter 13 and 14 if you want to flip there and get a head start. But before we dive into that, I just want to remind you about the season of Lent that we are in. This is a really, really special season that we are in. And there are things that we have intentionally prepared for you to experience that I want to encourage you to lean into I think so often we can just kind of go through the calendar and go through the year and go through the motions and just kind of think that it's that time of year so we kind of do these things. But, you know, maybe not this year, but next year I'll get around to it. And then next year you say, well, next year we'll get around to it. We have different things that I would strongly encourage you to lean into, to experience. We have the Pentecost fast, which at Pentecost there were 120 people that were gathered in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell. And we have 120 meals during the season of Lent. We're asking for people to, to fast one meal during the, the season of Lent. And we need people to choose to fast dinners and choose to fast, where is my notes here? Lunch, yes, thank you, Paula. Dinners and lunches. You guys are all about the breakfasts. <laughs> but when it comes to dinners and lunches, it's like, no, I mean, I love Jesus, but I really like my dinner too. So I would just encourage you to pray and lean into what it is that God is asking you to pray and what God is asking you to fast. We have the Friday fast that we are doing every single Friday morning. We, we are taking time to pray and to fast and the video devotions that go along with that that are sent out have just been so encouraging. We also have men and women's prayer gatherings that meet here at the church. Men at 6.30, women at noon, and they're growing every single week, and God is just really doing some incredible things as we have made time for that prayer. And we are collecting names of classmates. We are collecting names of coworkers, people that you know who are far from God. And maybe your disconnect with that is that you would say that you don't know any coworkers or classmates that are far from God. I would encourage you to take the prayer card that's in the seat back in front of you and write classmates, write coworkers, and just begin to pray. And I promise you that as you begin to pray, God is going to reveal to you who those people are that need encouragement from you. We're also going through the version plan, as Jen mentioned. There are so many things that we are able to experience during this season that really make it a special time, and I would encourage you to, uh, to, to join us with that. We're in this series called The Way of Jesus, where we are looking at what it means to follow Jesus. What does that look like? We're talking about it. We've been looking at one of the most famous messages that Jesus ever preached. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been looking at the beginning of it. The beginning of it, there are these scriptures that are grouped together and they're called the Beatitudes. And every single week we've been looking at a different one. And today we are looking at Matthew chapter five, verse six. And they're gonna put this on the screen behind me. And I want us to read this together. And we're looking at these Beatitudes because in them we find a clue about what it looks like to follow Jesus. So let's read the one that we're looking at today. Let's read this together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness 
for they shall be filled. I said we'd be in Judges 13 and Judges 14. We are going to be looking at the story of Samson. Who was Samson? Samson is someone that God used to bring judgment and order to the people of Israel and to remind the people of Israel to turn their hearts back to God. The promise that Samson had on his life from birth was that he was going to rescue the people of Israel from the Philistines. And what we see here where his story begins is in Judges chapter 13. We're gonna look at verses one through five. It says this, again, somebody say again. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Come on, Israel. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. And those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant and they had no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. Somebody say, be careful. And then we have this list of things here. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink. That's one. Nor eat any forbidden food. That's two. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut. That's three. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth, and he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Skip over to 14, verse 5 through 9. It says this, as Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. And at that moment, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat. There are, scriptures, there are stories in scripture that I just love. And this is one of them. Because it says as if it were a young goat, as if any of us could rip the jaws off of a young goat. I mean, it's just a young goat. <laughs> but hey, just if was a young goat. But he didn't tell his father or mother about it. I, I, would, have, I would have done the opposite of that. I would have told every, all of you would know if I ripped the jaws of a lion <laughs> apart. When Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion and he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. He also gave some to his father and mother and they ate it. But he didn't tell him he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. Today, we are going to talk about blessed are the righteous. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity we have to be here and to open your word, to learn from it to apply it to our lives and have it guide us. And my prayer is that as we look at this scripture, as we unpack this story, I wanna say only what you want me to say. So guide my thoughts, guide my words, and guide us as we, as we dive into this. We ask these things in your name, amen. Well, you may be seated. My wife and I, my wife is Sybil, she is the children's director, if you didn't know that, and she and I have been married for 16 years in May this year, so that is a, yeah, yeah. I know some of you have been married for a lot longer than that, a uh, lot less than that, but uh, 16 this year for us, we're, we're, we're really excited to celebrate that. And there were some things early on in our marriage, there were conversations that we had, and we decided on things that we were unwilling to compromise on. 
There were things that we decided on as a married couple, things that we were unwilling to lower our standards on. And these were important things. Like I'm talking about as a married couple, the conversations that you have about what you're not going to compromise on, what you're not going to lower your standards on. This was one of those marriage-making kind of conversations that we had. Important things like we can, we, we, you can never buy generic mac and cheese. It has to be craft. So none of that great value stuff or the equate stuff that just always leaves that, that bitter, chalky aftertaste. And yeah, some of you are shaking your heads. You know what I'm talking about. It's always got to be craft. Oreos, that was another thing that we just decided as a married couple pursuing the righteousness of Jesus. We just knew that when it comes to Oreos, nothing, you just can't replace that. It has to be the real thing. And can I get an amen for double stuff? Come on. Double stuff. Mega stuff is too much. The regular is not enough. Double stuff is just perfect. Another thing that we talked about that we were just unwilling to compromise on was toilet paper. You can't go cheap on toilet paper. Why? Because if you go cheap on toilet paper, when, you're, when you wipe, your fingers poke through it, and then you, then you literally, yeah. Oh, don't act like it's not happened to you. And then, you, and then you've literally got a mess on your hands, right? You just can't compromise on these things. What about you? What are things that you say that you can't compromise on? It's a good question. When it comes to your life, when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your family, when it comes to the way that you are at school, when it comes to your homework routine, what are things that you just feel like you cannot compromise on? What are some things that you feel like you can compromise on? There's a fun conversation. Let's talk about that for a second. You're at the restaurant or you're at the diner or you're at somewhere that serves soda and you ask for a Coke and what do they say? Is Pepsi okay? And you say, yeah, Pepsi's fine. It's all the same. You're like, it doesn't matter. It's not that big of a deal. Or maybe you're driving and you're about to the intersection and the light's been yellow for a little bit, but you're in a hurry, so you punch it and when you get into the middle of the intersection, the light turns red, but because it wasn't red before you got to the middle of the intersection, you were like, it's okay. Just a little compromise. That person is calling again and you ghost them, but you don't hit the red button. You just kind of let it go to voicemail so that maybe they think that you're just not by your phone, because who's not by their phones these days? But then, <laughs> I mean, come on, let's be honest. How did you not see it? Because five minutes later, you're scrolling through something. Did you see that I called? Oh, no, I had no idea. You're lying, you're lying, you're lying. I know you're lying. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But that, that, that person calls you again, and you just, you just let it go to voicemail, but then, but then they call one of your kids or they call your spouse and they answer and what is your first response? Don't tell them I'm here. It's just a little compromise, right? Maybe you're in a relationship, but man, there is that classmate or there's that coworker or there's that person at the coffee shop and so you strike up a conversation, it's no big deal. But then you message them privately and then one thing leads to another and leads to another and leads to another, there's another compromise. Compromise. I, I don't know what you think of when you hear that word, but I've mentioned it a lot. And when we as a team look at the messages that we are planning and preparing for the next week, Laura does a really good job at helping us understand the importance of a definition of a word. Like a word will come out in our conversation and she'll stop and she'll go, well, hang on now. What does this word mean? Because she knows that the meaning of words is really important and this one is no exception. 
She was right when it comes to this one. Listen to this. The, def- the definition of compromise is this. To accept standards that are lower than is desirable. To accept standards that are lower than is desirable. And another way to say it is this. Settling for something not even half as good. Settling for something not even half as good. Whew. And think about it. That's what we choose sometimes. We're okay with, with the less than is desirable. We're okay than not even half as good. That's the decision that we can make in our lives. And before we talk about what righteousness is, blessed are the righteous, before we talk about what righteousness is, let's make sure that we know what righteousness is not. Here are a few things that I think righteousness is not. Righteousness is not about keeping score. And whether you are okay with this or not, it is just a fact of our world that there are sports leagues for kids where they do not keep score. But then you know that amongst those parents, there are parents who are secretly keeping score. And a kid comes off the field defeated. Why? Because he knows somebody won and he knows somebody lost. And so he asks one of the parents, who won? And one parent says, everybody. And then the parent keeping score says, we lost by four, kid. Get over it. It's not about keeping score. It's not about following the rules. It's not about checking things off of a list, which I know that that just kind of grinds some of your gears because I know some of you love following the rules. I know some of you love checking things off of a list. And hear me out. I love a list just as much as the next person. But that's not what righteousness is about. It's not about pointing fingers. Okay, we love to do this, don't we? Well, I mean, at least I'm not like them or at least I didn't do that. Righteousness is not about being perfect. Contrary to popular opinion and contrary to what you think you see of somebody's life on social media, nobody is perfect. Righteousness is not about always being right. Now, for those of you that are digging your heels in now on this one, I might have lost you for the rest of the message, but hear me out on this. And it it pains me to say this, which, no, let's be honest, I'm in church, and it doesn't pain me to say this. It gives me great pleasure to tell you that nobody is always right. Nobody, none of us, not a single person, not, none of us are always right. And you thinking that you're always right, what is that called? It's not called being right, it's called self-righteousness. That's what that is called. You thinking that you are always right. And you're, and you're pushing back on me, you're digging your heels in because you think the word right is literally in the word righteousness. So those two things have gotta to go together for me to be always right. That's not, that's not, that's not how it works. Okay, so stick with me. That's not what righteousness is. None of these things are righteousness, which is good news for us because when you look at those things, all of those sound what? They sound unattainable. They're out of reach. Then, then what is it? What is righteousness? I want you to write this down because this is gonna help us as we continue to move forward today. This is what righteousness is. Righteousness is being presented with an opportunity to compromise and saying no. Righteousness is being presented with an opportunity to compromise and saying no. I love that. Because the truth of life is that that we will be presented with these moments where we can compromise. And we have a split-second decision to make. Are we gonna compromise or are we going to say no? And I believe that in those moments when we choose to say no, we are choosing to pursue righteousness. Righteousness is being presented with an opportunity to compromise and saying no. 
We just gotta remember moments when we're, where we can compromise will come. Righteousness is saying no to that. It's looking, righteousness is looking at the path that we're on and if every step that we are taking isn't leading us closer and closer to Jesus, then we've gotta make a course correction. We've gotta figure out something that we need to change so that the path that we are on is leading us closer and closer to Jesus. And as simple as I can say it, righteousness is doing the right thing. In any sort of environment, in any sort of decision that we have, in any sort of moment when there's a decision that we have to make that could possibly affect our character or the character of somebody else, we have to decide what it is that we are going to pursue, compromise or righteousness. It's doing the right thing. And we're in a series. What is the series called? The Way of Jesus. And I believe that the way of, of Jesus is a way of no compromise. And as I mentioned earlier, we're looking at the story of Samson, who was someone that God used to do incredible things. Like, there's no doubt about that. He did incredible things to display the wonder and the power of God. But we're looking at his story because, because Samson compromised. His promise was that he was to rescue the people of Israel. But he compromises. And we see throughout a few of his stories where he compromised and the consequences that came from that. And what's really interesting about the story of Samson is that from the beginning, there's something that is so small and so subtle and we could really just kind of skim by it. But I really believe that this is where the story of his compromise began. Listen to Judges 14, verses one. It says, one day, everybody say one day. When Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. While he was in Timnah, this is a compromise. Why is this a compromise? Because what is the promise that is upon the life of Samson? He is to deliver the people of Israel from the Philistines. But one day when he was in Timnah, what is Timnah? It is a place where the people that, are, that identify themselves as Philistines live. So Samson is somewhere he's not supposed to be rubbing shoulders with people that he's not supposed to rub shoulders with. He's there to, to rescue Israel from these people, not to get an Airbnb for the weekend. But one day while he's there, he's like, oh, this is quite the place, quite the person. This was the small thing. He was at a place he wasn't supposed to be, around people he wasn't supposed to be with, and he was spending time. It was a small thing that it, what, now, this wasn't a vow that he broke, this small thing, but it was a small thing that led him to breaking his vow, right? It starts so small, it's so subtle, it seems so insignificant, but then the consequences and fallout from it are pretty severe. Look at Judges 14, verses eight through nine. This is what this says. Later, when he returned, he's going back to Timnah. Later, when he returned for the wedding, the wedding. So the woman that caught his eye, he's marrying this girl. Come on, Samson. He turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. Remember the lion that he ripped his jaws in half like it was, you know, just like a small goat like any of us could do. He turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion, and he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and he ate it along the way. He also gave some to his father and mother and they ate it. But he didn't tell them 
He had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. He's off the path again. But this is even more intentional because as he's walking this path, he veers off of it to get a look at the lion. Why? Maybe he's curious. Maybe it's pride. Maybe he wants to see what he did and just be like, man, I am kind of a big deal. (laughs) I got to tell you, I mean, I would do that. If you ripped a lion's jaws in half, how many times would you go back? A lot. And you'd probably take a picture of it. And you'd probably set it as your background so that every time you looked at your phone, gum, I ripped this lion's jaws in half. <laughs> he's off the path. And he's, and, and, but what's also really interesting, what does he do? He sees the honey that is inside of the dead lion. What is food inside of a dead animal for the people of Israel? It's unclean. And what did we read at the very beginning that he was not supposed to touch? Things that were unclean. And so what started out as this really small, insignificant thing, I'm gonna go to Timnah, which is not breaking a vow, but that small compromise leads Samson off the path, off the path, off the path, and it leads him to breaking his vow. And now it's a sticky, hot mess. And I mean, honey, I mean, it just gets all over you. Even if you have something to try to contain it, Honey just gets everywhere. And even the tightest seal will break loose. We had one of those, you know, the honey bear thingies that tipped over on our counter, and I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Ten minutes later, ten minutes, people, I walk back, and there's just this puddle of honey. I'm like, how does this happen? It's sealed. It's closed. The cap is on. But it just gets all over the place. And then Samson shares it with his mom and his dad. And I want you to think about this, because when it comes to compromise, and the decisions that we make, we, are, we're, we share what we have and we share it with other people. Our compromise doesn't just rest with us. The things that we compromise on most likely always goes beyond us. I want you to write this down. My compromise always affects more than just me. My compromise always affects more than just me. Why would Samson do this? Why would he make these choices when he knows what he's supposed to do? He knows the promise that God has that is upon his life to rescue the people of Israel. Why would he do this? Because it started with a small compromise. And I think that our compromises, I think that they start small too. It's tax season. And, and, and you, you, you change just a few numbers, like two, it's not that big of a deal, two big numbers that that you change that just don't seem like that big of a deal, but then things come back and they don't even out and they don't match up and one thing leads to another and now you're in trouble for defrauding the government. You cheated on that test that you weren't prepared for and now, now not only did you fail the test, but now you might not pass that class that you need to graduate which might set you back a whole year. You ran that red light, the one that we talked about earlier that was yellow for a while, but I mean, it didn't change until you were in the middle of the intersection. But now you've T-boned someone. Cars are totaled, people are injured. It was just a little compromise. You sent a private text to someone and now you've broken your vow of marriage. These small compromises lead to these big things. And what is so strange is that we end up being the ones that say, man, I don't know how this happened. It's the strangest thing. 
Because I don't think that we wake up in the morning and go, you know what? I'm going to ruin my life this week. <laughs> Today, I'm going to make a, a effort to compromise in every single way that I can. My character, my integrity, my reputation. I don't think any of us wake up and, and do that. But there are these little small things that happen that compound over time. It always starts with something subtle and it always affects others. We, we say that we don't know where it happened when where it happened was we woke up and we hit snooze and so we were in a hurry the rest of the day. That's why we yelled at our friends or we yelled at our children or we ran that red light. But it started back here when we hit snooze. It's these little things. And compromise is not the kind of life that God wants us to live. So what can we do? How do we course correct? How do we pursue righteousness on a daily basis? And how do we make sure that we don't compromise? Because I think that we would all say, I think we would all say this, I want to live a life of righteousness. I believe that we would all say that and desire that for our lives. So how do we do this? I think we see how in the life of Jesus. During the Lent devotional that we've been reading, one of the stories that it took us through was the story of the temptation of Jesus. I love this story. This happens right after Jesus is baptized. Scripture says that he's led into the wilderness and is tempted. And what's interesting is that while he's in the wilderness, he doesn't eat or drink anything for 40 days and 40 nights. And what does Scripture say as if we couldn't guess? And he becomes hungry. You would too. Some of you are fasting during this season of Lent, and there's moments where you're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal, I'll just, it's just a protein bar. It's not a whole meal, I think that counts. Right, we get hungry in these little moments. Imagine 40 days, nothing, and he becomes hungry. And so it makes sense that the first way that the enemy tempts Jesus is with something practical, something subtle. Well, just turn these rocks into bread, you're hungry. But Jesus doesn't compromise, and the way that he responds to the enemy is with scripture. But then the enemy tempts Jesus again, and what does the enemy use in rebuttal against Jesus? He uses scripture. He's smart, he's cunning, and he comes against Jesus again and says, well, the scriptures also say, but Jesus responds again. Jesus doesn't compromise, and he uses scripture again as his defense and says and responds with scripture. And then, and then the enemy comes back to tempt Jesus again. The final time that he tempts him, he tempts him with power. Let's look at Matthew chapter four, verse eight through 11. It says this, next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said, I will give all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. This time we see that the enemy tempts Jesus with power. Put yourself in this position. All of the kingdoms of the world in all of their glory, and I'll give it all to you, but all you have to do is, is this small subtle, insignificant thing. Just, just bow down and worship me. Whew. All the kingdoms of all the world and all of their glory. But Jesus doesn't compromise. He doesn't even hesitate. And what, and what does it say happens right at the end of that story? 
And angels came and took care of Jesus. He was filled, right? Jesus was filled. What does the Beatitudes say? Let's put that on the screen again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. What do you hunger for? What do you thirst for? What do you, what are you just consumed with when it comes to your focus and your passion and your desire? What do you hunger and thirst for? If you hunger and thirst for Jesus, I promise you that you are going to be filled. And I promise you that you are going to be pursuing righteousness. And if you hunger and thirst for other things, things that you know always, always leave you disappointed and always leave you wanting more, you're gonna be filled with compromise after compromise, after compromise. And sometimes I think that we wanna take matters into our own hands because we can be worried that things aren't gonna work out the way that we want them to. I get that. And then sometimes we wanna take matters into our own hands because sometimes we think we're not gonna have everything that we need. And I, I get that too. There's things that we need. There's things that we, that we desire. There's things that we feel like we need to pursue. But what's... What's really interesting about this story that we looked at for Samson, the path that Samson was on when it says that he veered off of the path, I've seen that. I've seen where that is. I've been where that was. It would have looked something like this. This was a picture that I took when we were in Israel. And when scripture talks about the desert, when scripture talks about the wilderness, I mean, that's, that's what it looks like. I, I was so ignorant to the landscape, and I just thought desert, so I just thought, well, a bunch of sand, maybe a few rocks, and of course that scorpion that crawls across in the commercials, you know, something like that. But that's, that's more or less what it would have looked like that they were traveling. And as you're traveling through this terrain, as you're traveling through the wilderness, as you're traveling through the desert, there were paths that you just knew to take. I, I never knew where we were in Israel. Our tour guide would, would say, where is Jerusalem? I don't know, man, where's Bixby? It's a roll of the dice. <laughs> I, I don't know. If somebody tells me something's on Riverside, I'm like, you know what, I'll just, I'll find it elsewhere. Walmart's <laughs> gotta have something. I'm so directionally challenged. So imagine, imagine walking around in something like this when it all looks the same. Good luck. But if this is where you were born and raised, you would get used to the path that you needed to stay on and the direction that you needed to go. And what's, what's really interesting, something that we learned was that from, so the, the shadow that you see at the, at the right corner of the picture there, just above that you see those camels where we were in the desert, in the wilderness, there was this little village. And in the village, there was a place that we were able to sit, a meal that we were able to have. There's a, there's a natural well that they have where water is provided. And if you travel a day's journey, where, what, 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 are you, what are you gonna find after that day's journey? You're gonna find another village. And here's what's interesting. Had Samson stayed on the path that he was on with his parents, just a little bit further, he would have found a village where he would have found the food 
and the water and the rest that he needed to be filled. But he ventured off the path. What he needed was, was just a few steps further. And had he just traveled just those few steps further, he wouldn't have had the run-in with the lion in the first place. And he wouldn't have veered off the path again, and he wouldn't have broken his vow, and he wouldn't have shared what he shared with his parents. Here's what I want us to understand about, about righteousness, because sometimes we can think that if we don't take matters into our own hands, we're gonna miss out on something. But here's what pursuing righteousness is. I want you to write this down. Pursuing righteousness doesn't mean that we miss out on things. Pursuing righteousness doesn't mean that we miss out on things. It means that we're filled with the best things. So pursuing righteousness doesn't mean that we miss out on things. It means that we're filled with the best things. It means that righteousness is what will fill us as we pursue it daily. That's what fills us. And so these other things that we think that we're gonna miss out on, this path that we might have a strong feeling that's the wrong path that we don't need to be on. Because we know that if we stay on the path to righteousness that we're gonna be filled with whatever it is that we are hungering and thirsting for. We're not gonna miss out. And I know FOMO is a big thing, but how about JOMO? You know what JOMO stands for? The joy of missing out. What if we were to look at the things of the world and be like, you know what, I'm good. I'm, I'm okay. Because I'm, I'm pursuing righteousness. So how, how, do we, how do we do that? How do we practice JOMO? How do we make sure that we don't compromise? How do we pursue it on a daily basis? I think that there's a few things that we can do to make sure that we are, we are pursuing righteousness with all that we are. And there's a scripture I want us to look at in 1 John chapter 3, verse seven. It says this, it says, little children, let no one deceive you. The one who, and let's say this together, practices righteousness is righteous, just as Christ is righteous. So the first thing that we can do to pursue righteousness on a daily basis is to practice it. Write that down, practice righteousness. And what I love about the word practice is that it means that we're just kind of all in process here. And something that we talk about here at Core Church that some of you might be new to, something that we talk about a lot and that we work into everything is our eight core practices, right? Our eight core practices. They don't make you righteous, but they help you practice it. And the first one that we talk about, and we talk about it a lot, the first one is daily devotion. And I'm, I, I promise you that if you are making time daily to spend time in prayer and spend time in God's word, I promise you you're going to be pursuing and practicing righteousness. And what do we know? We know that practice doesn't make perfect because we know that no one is perfect, not even that trendy influencer that we see on social media that just seems to have the most perfect kids. Nobody's perfect, right? Practice makes progress. So we practice righteousness. The next thing that we do to pursue righteousness on a daily basis is this. And this is, this is I mean, this is just gonna blow your mind. Do something different. 
That's it? Yeah, that's it. Do something different. Write that down. Do something different. And then write this down. You can't desire for things to change and not do anything different. You cannot desire change in your life and not do anything different. It just doesn't work that way. You've got to desire the change and then you've actually got to do something to change. You can't desire for things to change and not do anything different. Do something different. Last week, I walked out of the church and uh, was headed to an appointment when I noticed that the, the back passenger tire on our van was flat. I mean, uh, what's the silver thing that the tire's on? <laughs> the wheel, the rim, the rim, thank you. <laughs> Let me help you understand something about the men on staff at Core Church. <laughs> We, we, if one of our cars breaks down, all of us pop the hood and we're like, well, I'll tell you what, that is an engine right there. <laughs> I'm directionally challenged. I'm mechanically challenged. What are my gifts? I don't know. Oh, my goodness. So I noticed that the rim was just on the ground. And so I looked at it and I knew, well, that can't be right. So I walked over. And there were two, count them, two nails just sticking out of the top of the tire. And so I, you know, I rolled up my sleeves and tried to pull them out. And it turns out that doesn't work. And <laughs> so I drove it to the gas station and tried to put air in it. And I was filling up the, okay, you would all do the same thing. Some of you are like, oh my God. What, what are you going to do? You're just going to drive on the flat? I sure did. Ah. So, so I'm filling up I'm filling up the tire with air for like a solid 25 minutes. And and the air pressure never goes up. And 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 if in fact I, I think more air leaked out of it if that was at all possible. But I got it up to about 10 pounds of pressure, which is supposed to have 46, so if that gives you an idea of how flat it was. Anyways, I drive home, and the next day I'm like, we probably need to take this to the tire shop. So I take it in, and the guys look at it, and the guy comes out, and he tells me, uh, did you know there were some nails in it? I'm like, I, I did, I did. Those, those were craftsman nails. <laughs> you have to say these kinds of things when you're around these kinds of people. Otherwise, they're going to look at you and wonder why you got keys to a car in the first place. Oh, so he said, well, he said something, whew, I'll never forget this. He says, there's more to it than just the nails. I was like, all right, well, what's, what's, what's wrong with it? He goes, well, it, it, from the way that the tire looks, you've been driving on this flat like this for a while. It's like, well, it's my wife's car, so. <laughs> uh, just threw her under the bus. Oh. He said, here's what's, here's what's interesting is you've been driving on this for a while and the side of the tire has been grinding and scraping against the ground. And what's happened is the reason why you weren't able to fill it up with pressure is because it's not just the two holes that the nails put. There are tiny microscopic holes all across the front of the tire. 
So air was leaking out everywhere, everywhere. And they said that it would have exploded if I filled it up to the pressure that it was supposed to go to. What's interesting about that story is the nails were just the beginning. The nails were just that small, subtle thing that impacted, and these are the words of the tire guy, the integrity of the tire. The entire integrity of the tire was compromised and the whole tire had to be replaced. It was a simple nail, but not making the correction immediately literally changed the shape and the makeup of the tire. And I think not making a correction in our lives can slowly change who we are. When we don't correct things that need to be corrected, our integrity is affected in ways that, that literally change us to become people that we never wanted to be. With a small compromise, everything, everything can change. Remember, we can't desire for things to change and not do anything different. Do something different. And the last thing that I think that can help us to pursue righteousness is to make pre-decisions. Make pre-decisions. I was listening to a podcast recently by a guy named Chris Hodges who is a, a leader and an author, writes about prayer a lot. And as he was talking on this podcast, he says that a way to pursue righteousness daily is to, is to make pre-decisions. What is pre-decisions? This is what he said it is. It's deciding what's right ahead of time so that you'll do what's right at the time. It's deciding what's right ahead of time so that you do what's right at the time. What does that mean? That means that when a moment of compromise comes, you already know what to decide because you have pre-decided what, what that decision needed to be. Let me give you some examples. Here's what you've pre-decided. I wanna be a parent who is awake when my kids get up. And not just awake, but awake and ready for the day because I know that that time that I have, that I have with my kids in the morning is precious and that it, could, it can affect the outcome of the rest of their day. So I have pre-decided that when the alarm goes off, I'm not gonna hit snooze because I'm gonna be able to impact my children in a positive way. That's what you've, you've pre-decided. You've pre-decided I wanna be a faithful spouse. So I'm gonna make sure that they have access to all of my electronic devices. Because I'm a faithful spouse, that's what I'm going to do. So that when a, a, when a link pops up or, a, or an ad pops up, I'm not gonna click on it because I have pre-decided that I'm going to be faithful to my spouse and I'm not going to compromise. I wanna do well on that test. So I've pre-decided that I won't wait until the last minute to cram. I won't wait until the last minute to study so that when my friends are calling me or texting me, letting me know about the movie that they're going to or the coffee shop that they're gonna check out, I'm not going to do that because this test is really important, this class is really important, this project is really important, and I've pre-decided that I'm gonna do everything I can to be prepared for it. When it comes to our lives, moments of compromise come. That, that's just the way life is. Whether we're looking for it or not, we might be on the path. And then just this moment to compromise can come out of nowhere. But what are we doing? We are practicing righteousness, we're doing something different, and we're making pre-decisions. We're pre-deciding what is right ahead of time so that when a moment comes for us to compromise, we'll do what's right. Righteousness is being presented with an opportunity to compromise and saying no. And if you, if you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this. We are righteous because of what God has done 
through Jesus. Nothing that you have done, nothing that you can do, God has made us righteous because of what God has done through Jesus. And because of that, we are filled with the Spirit of God to live out and to pursue and to practice a righteous life. And as God has had promises for Samson, God has promises for us that he, that he so desperately wants to see fulfilled. And if we're, if we're constantly veering off the path and we're, we're making compromise after compromise, we're not gonna fulfill those promises. Scripture says that, that we are the righteousness of Christ. And so when you come into a relationship with Jesus, you are righteous. It's not about what you do, it's about who Jesus is. And because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, he says that you are righteous. God's not keeping a scorecard. Why should we? It's not about the rules, it's not about the list. There's nothing that you could do to make God love you less. Nothing that you could do, regardless of what you've done. You are loved because of what God has done through Jesus. And the result of that is that you will want to practice righteousness. You will want to pursue it with passion. You will want to pursue it every single day of your life because you will want to live out the purpose that God has for you without compromise. I invite you to bow your heads. God, I thank you for these stories that we have to learn from. These stories are, are old, but, but there is still so much power and so much relevance in it for our life today. What decision do you need to make? What is it that you need to pre-decide? What do you need to begin to practice? What do you need to begin to do different when it comes to pursuing righteousness? God, I pray that as we just are in this moment of prayer reflection that you would just bring, bring to mind in our hearts things that we need to do, things that we need to change, decisions that we need to make. For some of us, What's on the other side of this is, is a life of, of, of practicing righteousness. And so I pray that, that we just stay on the path. And as you're praying, maybe something has come to your mind and you need hope for that. Maybe there's a moment that is just stuck in your, in your mind of a moment of compromise that was, that was years ago. And what you need in this moment is healing. Healing to, to move forward. Maybe what you need right now in this moment is peace in your spirit. Maybe what you need right now in this moment is purpose. Recognizing the promises that God has for you, recognizing the decisions that you need to make to to, to pursue that and to leave what you're compromising, just leave it where it is. God, I pray that as we have taken this time to think and to pray and to process, that you just continue to bring to mind what those things are, what those decisions are that we need to make as we continue to pursue righteousness.
hope the message you heard both encourages you and inspires you. Yeah, we'd love for you all to come and see us at Core Church at 10 a.m. any Sunday. And if we can support you in any way or you'd like to get connected with us, there are links in the description below. Thanks again for joining us online.